Talkback Matters from the Salvos. When you start stealing money from your 13-year-old daughter's money box on a regular basis, you know that something is up. Well, that's what John was doing. He shares why he was doing that and how he found freedom from the devastating issue that was causing it. No, my, I had a very good upbringing. I, I lived in a, a quite a... Quite a I won't say posh, but a, an upmarket area of, of the UK in a, in a quiet country town that had lots going on that was quite insulated. Um, I lived in a, a nice home. I've got a brother who's 12 years older than me. My parents are still together to this day. Wow. They, uh, they've been married for over, over 50 years now. Um, and I had a really good upbringing. I went to a, a good Catholic primary school, enjoyed my sports. Um, as I said, lived in a, a lovely street in a lo- lovely suburb uh, on the River Thames, very picturesque village, the sort of thing you see on Midsummer Murders. Yeah. Um, and then went to uh, high school, uh, which was quite a reputable high school in the area, the Royal Grammar School in High Wycombe. Um, and pretty much finished my education there. I didn't go to university, uh, but that was my own choice. And my mother suffered a lot of ill health from a very early age. And, I mean, that had some impact on my life in that my mother was in and out of hospital for long periods of time. I can remember when I was seven or eight going to other people's houses um, because dad was still at work and mum was in hospital at that period of time. Right. And them taking care of me and having nights with just my dad. And um, we had look. But at the end of the day, I was still very well supported, very well loved, and my family made sure that I had a good balanced life. Having a brother 12 years older almost almost becomes like a third parent, which meant that even in my mother's absence, I always had someone else looking out for me as well. So with all of that, what was it that made you spiral downwards the way you did? Well, I moved to Australia. We, my, I got married in the UK to an Australian girl um, in 2002, and we had our daughter Bethany in June 2002, um, and we moved to Australia in January 2003. I was very fortunate to find a job in real estate, um, and was very happy. I moved to Grafton in New South Wales to start with, where my wife's family was from, and. Uh, was found found my way to real estate and had a, a wonderful career for three years there, and then we decided to move to the Gold Coast. And um, the Gold Coast was very good to me. My my real estate career continued. I was in quite a high profile office, uh, and was was riding some some selling some some big houses by that time, yeah. and therefore making some some half decent money along the way. I can imagine. And then part of that becomes the lifestyle of, of, of a sales agent, shall we say, you, you go out and you socialize. And in that socializing, I um, became attracted to not only drinking, but also partaking in, in uh, drug usage. And um, and that became a commonplace thing socially. The, the real downfall became only really started when I started doing it privately as well. Yeah, I was I would be going home privately and trying to hide it from other people. So it was a mixture of the success of what I was doing, but then the, probably the shame and the guilt of hiding it from people because my wife wasn't aware. She was extremely anti-drugs. Um, we made a decision when we had our daughter that we would give up smoking and 
uh, and any any substance taking uh, which she has stuck to to this day. And I realised that to do what I was doing, even socially in the first place, took a fair amount of guilt to withhold it from my my life partner, my wife, of at that time eight years, and. Um, there, along with that comes a bit of shame and guilt, which then unfortunately turns it into that private thing even more, and that's when it became a real problem. How bad did it get? Oh, uh, it was nearly daily. I was going to collect uh, substance of choice from a dealer. Um, not so much because it was a huge thing, it was just to keep me going, but when you're doing it daily, it's still a big problem. You just don't associate it as being a big problem. How did you explain the um, the money being used on it? Um, <laughs> I withheld what I was being paid by my boss as a weekly amount from my wife, so she wasn't aware of what I was actually receiving. And on top of that, my wife operates a restaurant um, herself, which I was... Uh, taking money from as well, from the takings. Skimming the till. Basically from her wallet. Skimming the till sort of thing. Skim, skimming skimming the wallet, which was effectively the till, yes. And then you ended up skimming your kid's money box. Yes, I did. That's how bad it gets. Unfortunately, when you when you skim the wallet from your wife and then she starts to notice it, you look for other avenues. Wow. And, uh, and unfortunately, I just happened to know that my daughter, who was about 13 at the time, had been working and saving. And that's when... Uh, I knew she had about $1,000. I didn't take it all in one go, but I took 200 here and then we'd put the 200 back and then I'd take 200 and put 100 back. Surprised that she wasn't checking it. Yeah. Knowing that at some point I was going to get found out, but for about three, four months, it didn't get found out. That must have caused incredible guilt for you. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's when they talk about the shame and guilt cycle. That's because That was it epitomized right there because the guilt of what I was doing and the shame, it just self-evolved and it's a downward spiral very quickly and it got to the point where I later heard that I wasn't in the house when my daughter found out but, but my, my wife was and she said when she found out she a she knew it was her father her daughter my daughter just knew it was me for some reason she, yeah. she couldn't prove it she just knew it was because the family already by this point knew something was up with daddy and she let out the biggest whale apparently like a it was pretty terrible to hear, and that was the day I knew something was up, but I still couldn't help myself. I, it, it got to the point where I was praying my wife would would find me doing it because I had surrendered to, to the drug so much that I knew I didn't have the strength to come clean. Wow. My wife would actually ask me to my face, just own up, let's sort this out. And I was like, no, nah, I don't know what you're talking about, you're crazy. And then an hour later, I'd be in another room somewhere taking some drugs wow. hoping she'd find me because her finding me was easier than me having to tell her oh my goodness but there is good news and there is good news and you went and when was that turning point of going to rehab well, it's funny you use the word turning point because <laughs> when when my wife and my boss and my ex-boss best friends worked it out they um they organized a meeting with my my, my best mate at the time and he said, Tom, listen, we know what's up. We need to get help. And he happened to know somebody um, involved with the Salvation Army, Rowan Johnson, the median officer, yeah. and made a phone call to him. And he said, look, get him into Turning Point, and I'll make a phone call and see what I can organize for you. 
and we went to Turning Point in Southport, which is the uh, admissions office. I broke down in tears, and it was both the worst day and the best day of my life. Yes, yeah. Um, because it was like praying for someone to find out. Someone had found out, and someone had done something about it. Yeah, I mean, my wife was like, don't go in there thinking we're still together. We're not. We're very much separated. My daughter right. had stopped talking to me for obvious reasons, and my son was very... Um, he was amazing, actually. He was very supportive of me because he knew I had no one else. But I could still tell he was angry. Yeah. Um, but he tried to be my friend, which uh, for, uh, my son is now 13. Um, and they watched me go through the journey. And I look, I can't speak highly enough about Fairhaven and what they do. Um, and the Salvation Army, not just Fairhaven, but that's just where I was. Yeah. It, it really, it, it's a, the caseworkers are just amazing. My caseworker, Jeff, um, was fantastic. He 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 was a different person to me, but we became very well. He he understood my journey. Yeah. And um my kids watched me change, my wife watched me change and um how shall I say this? My kids now speak to me, including my daughter. We're 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 rebuilding the relationship. But look, there's still some mistrust there, obviously. And I understand that. But um my, my daughter willingly talks to me now. We spent the weekend together. And, and what about with your wife? Um and my wife is we're we're reconciling at the moment, slowly but surely. And I, I mean, ten ten months ago, I couldn't have even believed that that was even possible. Yeah, I think she said to me she likes it these days. When she asks me a question, I give her an honest answer, whether she wants to hear it or not. She appreciates the honesty because wow. a large part of my journey was not just the physicality of the drug; it was also inside, yeah, and, uh, and dishonesty and deception, um, and. I used to not. I used to just lie to her face just to make life easy, wow. and and now she she really appreciates the fact that I'm prepared to tell her the truth, whether it's what she wants to hear or not. That's John's story. Afterwards, he shared with me that he has refound his faith, and he is walking very closely with Jesus. If you have an addiction that you need help with, then call the Salvos straight away, 13 Salvos, or go to our website, salvos.org.au forward slash radio, and click on Contact Us and email us.